How's it going, everyone? Welcome to Everlasting Doubt, another episode. <clears throat> so, as I've uh, spoken about in my um, my How I Became an Atheist episode, I used to uh, be heavily into Christianity to the point where I did my thesis uh, capstone in college, um, proving the existence of God or proving that God wasn't dead, you know, quote unquote. And um, so I wanted to do a a couple of episodes on this because I wanted to actually read through my uh, capstone essay and then I will respond to it in in the next episode. But just so that uh, I can basically respond to my old way of thinking and um, see how my arguments have changed and how my perspective has changed. So that's what we're what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be reading through my essay in its entirety and then we'll respond to it in our next uh, episode. So before we do that, let's just uh, give a shout out to our sponsor and um, thank thank them for sponsoring us uh, as always and just if you if you guys want to uh want to help us out just uh share this amongst your uh, social media or share it uh wherever you you post and just get more people uh involved in this so that we can grow our community and just thanks so much for listening you guys and thanks for supporting and let's get started with this The Obituary of God in Permanent Ink In today's society, there are two subjects that are forbidden topics, religion and politics. Of course, politics is still often the center of our daily conversation, but it seems like the subject of religion is being put on the back burner. This is leading to a rise in secularism. Many of these secularists claim that science and philosophy has Disproved religion. Religion is seen as nothing more than a joke and mockery. It also seems incomprehensible for science and religion to coexist, and for science to even promote religion. Atheism is promoted as the logical, intelligent way of thinking, whereas religion is painted as superstitious nonsense. But can faith be logical? Can the Christian religion be reasonable? These are the themes that will be explored throughout this essay. It can be argued that one of the main reasons Christianity is painted in such a bad light today is mainly due to the nature of the modern Christian, who spends more time focusing on spirituality and self-help pose of wisdom than focusing on tangible and intellectual as well as experiential reasons as to why Christianity has real meaning. Throughout the essay, the term religion will be used, but it will be exclusively referring to traditional Christianity faith. As portrayed by the early church in the first century, described in the Bible, throughout the New Testament, such as in the book of Acts and the writings of the Apostle Paul, as well as outside sources. In the following essay, various secular thinkers will be cited 
and a variety of Christian philosophers, theologians, and writers will be used to contrast these authors and to show that the Christian perspective can be thought of as logical and reasonable. It seems most pressing to address the rise of secular thinking and the perceived decline and even demise of religion. Nietzsche coined the famous phrase that God is dead to illustrate the demise of religion. Christianity in response to this has retorted that with the phrase rumors of God's death are greatly exaggerated. The July 2008 cover story of Christianity Today entitled God is not dead yet describes the rise of Christianity, specifically the rise in Christian philosophy and how they are arguing his existence. Dr. William Lane Craig sees that society might think that the recent spate of atheist bestsellers that belief in God has become intellectually indefensible for thinking people today. Craig, God is not dead yet. Page 22. Although it seems as if religion is on the fall and cannot recover, as noted in his book, What's So Great About Christianity?, Dinesh D'Souza shows that religion is in fact on the rise. Although this correlation would suggest something of a revival or revelation in thinking as addressed in the introduction, it could also be that the rise of religion does not constitute in a rise in traditional Christianity, but more refers to the rise of spirituality, which treats the doctrines and teachings of Christ as a life enhancement as opposed to a life purpose. This is seen most clearly in popular televangelists and speakers who preach a message that is unrelatable and intangible. It also seems to be good evidence to cause the agnostic and atheist to doubt. In regards to this, Christianity that is uh, sold by the televangelist, the atheist is perfectly justified in believing it is fake and a waste of their time. D'Souza comments that these types of modern Christians will not engage the secular world and will instead, quote, take the easy way out. They have retreated into a Christian subculture where they engage Christian concerns, then they step back into secular society where their Christianity is kept out of sight until the next church service, end quote. D'Souza, 2007, page XIV. This, according to D'Souza, makes modern Christians comparable to modernists, where they have their feet in two camps. They walk around preaching and living the judgmental, holy way of life on Sunday, and spend the rest of the week acting no different to anyone else. Seeing through his fakes, this fake facade, atheist speak, speakers like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens openly attack religion, specifically Christianity. As suggested, a probable cause is due to the fact that, as previously noted, there is nothing real or tangible about the Christianity being sold by the media and megachurches. And there is no real-life application, 
with what they are selling. Also, due to this shallow Christianity, modern Christians are unequipped to answer the questions and attacks of atheists. D'Souza comments that the atheists have been hammering the Christians and the Christians have been running for cover, end quote. He notes that Christians, even experienced pastors and ministers, quote, are not accustomed to dealing with skilled attackers who reject the authority of the Bible to educate anything, end quote. As well as a rise in this fake Christianity, there is also a rise in traditional Christianity, as noted by D'Souza and by Dr. William Lane Craig in the Christianity Today article, who describes, quote, a renaissance of Christian philosophy, end quote, Dr. Craig. Although it is in the best interest of traditional Christianity for this fake Christianity to disappear, the atheist does not see the distinction between traditional Christianity and this fake Christianity. The atheist's motives are to rid the world of religion in general. Even though religion is used as an umbrella term to encompass all world religions and worldviews, it is evident that the actual target for people like Dawkins appears to be Christianity alone. However, traditional Christianity, the kind demonstrated in the Bible and in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, is far from dying out. Atheists like Dawkins often claim that all religious people are almost atheists anyway, as they do not believe in 99% of all gods and only believe in the one. During a Q&A session, a student posed this question to Dr. Craig and stated the following, quote, There's an issue that I perceive as severely problematic by any theist point that involves the fact that every single person in this room, in fact every single person on this planet, is an atheist many, 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 many times over in regards to the pantheon of gods that have come before. Craig replied that to be an atheist you have to believe there is no god at all. And I don't believe that, so in no sense am I an atheist. End quote. This is making the point that, by definition, someone who believes in God cannot be an atheist, and also demonstrates what it means to be an atheist. Despite the fact that the majority of weak-minded Christians offer no concise rebuttal to any of the atheistic attacks, some have taken up the challenge and are giving good logical reasons for their faith in the Christian God and Jesus Christ. Seeing this rise in of logical Christianity, atheists have grown more and more outspoken and militant. Edmund Burke comments on this new personality of atheists, stating that boldness was not formerly a characteristic of atheists as such, but of late they have grown active, design, designing turbulent and seditious. Burke, 1834. This is a growing trend among atheists and the atheistic movement, and is becoming a parallel of the book of Acts in the Bible, with the heads of the atheistic church being Dawkins and his counterparts, 
posing as some sort of atheist apostles and their followers celebrating their unbelief. As much of a paradox this concept seems to be, not to mention how ironic it is, organizations such as the First Church of Atheism are parading around as an atheist version of the Christian ministries they are so against. The difference between these two comparisons is that the first century church grew due to belief in and eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This includes eyewitness viewings of the bodily resurrected Jesus and eyewitness accounts of the empty tomb, both from Christian and non-Christian sources. Many Christian academics argue evidence for the resurrection. These newly found atheist churches are founded on the opposite, namely a disbelief and hatred for Christianity. Although when asked, many atheists would deny this comparison. It seems comical at the very least that atheists would mimic the behavior of the religious institutions they are so against. This growth uh, growth in the atheist movement is seen clearly in the Western world, especially in the UK and the USA. In the US, a Harvard study shows, known as the Pluralism Project, reports that, quote, people with no religious affiliation now number nearly 40 million. That's almost 15% of the population, up from less than 10% in 1990. And so a virtual doubling of the atheist ranks in a single decade. End quote. Science journalist and director of the Center for Science Writings at Stevens Institute of Technology, John Hogan, pridefully states that, quote, there are more of us heathens out there than you might guess. What the data does not reveal, however, is whether this growth in, in atheism is a rise in secular thinking or whether atheists are more outspoken now than they were in 1990. Just like religion is an umbrella term, atheist also is an umbrella term that can refer to anyone of secular persuasion. This includes, quote, secularists, non-believers, non-theists, apathists, anti-theists, agnostics, skeptics, freethinkers, and humanists, end quote. Many atheists, like Dawkins, believe agnostics and skeptics are too passive, whereas they choose to take the more aggressive stance that God does not exist, as opposed to the passive stance that there is a lack of knowledge that God exists. This begs the question as to whether the lack of evidence is evidence of the lack. In the case of God, many Christian philosophers would disagree and go as far as to suggest that there is evidence. Just as the term Christian has negative connotations throughout history, the term atheist is following the same path. Dawkins and philosopher Daniel Dennett have both published articles telling fellow unbelievers to reject the term atheist. The alternative term they wish to use is bright. Dawkins defines this term as someone who adopts a worldview that is free of supernaturalism and mysticism.
Dawkins, the future looks bright. Then it says that, quote, we brights don't believe in ghosts or elves or the Easter Bunny or God. And quote, Dennett, the bright stuff. It is obvious that they believe that God and the Easter Bunny fall into the same category, category and the modern atheist or bright is too clever to view in to believe in these childish superstitions. The irrationality of Christians is a common theme among atheists, and in some respects it is easy to see where they get the idea from. As noted earlier, the fake Christianity seen in the media is aligned with this view, and even Christians would agree that it is irrational and cannot be taken seriously. As an example, televangelist Kenneth Copeland has been quoted saying that everyone who believes in God is a God themselves, stating that, quote, you are anything that he is, end quote, and that, quote, Copeland claims that there is something wrong if a Christian doesn't become rich, end quote. He has been quoted saying, quote, I am a billionaire because the the assignment that the Lord gave me. I want you to begin to confess the billion flow. End quote. From, from taken from ten crazy quotes from televangelists under ridiculous reads. It is statements like this that further reinforce the apparent lack of evidence for the atheist. Another reason atheists assert that Christianity is nonsense is that it claims to be the one and only true religion. Many assert that this is arrogant to claim the exclusivity of Christianity. Dr. Timothy Keller talks about one of his experiences as a panelist in order to highlight the exclusive truth of cl- truth claims of Christianity. The panel consisted of a Christian minister, which was Keller, a Jewish rabbi, and a Muslim in- imam. He comments that they had all agreed on one statement, quote, If Christians are right about Jesus being God, then Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. End quote. He uses this to illustrate that all the panelists couldn't be Quote, equally right about the nature of God, end quote. Keller, 2008, page 4. Although this is a good question to ask, it only applies to those who hold a religious belief, and for the atheist, it, this is a moot point. The atheist believes that, quote, religion poisons everything, end quote. Hitchens, 2007. As Christopher Hitchens famously said, when titling his book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Historically, this division of religious worldviews and the arrogant claims of each religion's exclusivity has been the cause of much conflict 
and many have been many have proposed that the most effective solution would be to rid the world of religion it has been widely believed that this would solve a great deal of conflict caused by religion and would have prevented many wars and conflicts that were committed under the guise of religion. Timothy Keller uses examples of how this outlawing of religion has had the reverse effect and has in fact caused equal amounts, if not more harm, as religion. He states that there have been, quote, several massive efforts to do this in the 20th century. Soviet Russia, Communist China, and the Kumarog, and in, def- in different ways, Nazi Germany, were all determined to tightly control religious practice in an effort to stop it from dividing society or eroding the power of the state. End quote. A comments that the results of this were, quote, not peace and harmony, but more oppression, end quote. Nietzsche noticed the ramifications of the death of God, and this is seen clearly by the parable of the madman in his book, The Gay Science. We have killed him, you and I. We are his murderers. But how have we done this? How were we able to drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What did we do when we unchained the earth from the sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving now? Away from all suns? Are we not perpetually falling? Backward, sideward, forward, in all directions? Is there any up or down? Are we not straying as though as through an infinite nothing. Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is it not more and more night coming on all the time? Must not lanterns be lit in the morning? Do we not hear anything yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Do we not smell anything yet of God's decomposition? Gods too decompose, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we, murderers of all murderers, console ourselves? That which was the holiest and mightiest of all, that the world has yet possessed, has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? With what water could we purify ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we need to invent? Is not the greatness of the deed too great for us? Must we not ourselves become gods simply to be worthy of it? There have never been a greater deed, and whosoever shall be born after us for the sake of this deed, he shall be a part of a higher history than all history hitherto. End quote. Nietzsche, 1974. In a speech given by Dr. Ravi Zacharias, he says this about Nietzsche. Zacharias paraphrases Nietzsche, stating that 
he said, quote, whether we actually find out that God has died in the 19th century, two things are going to happen in the 20th century. The 20th century will become the bloodiest century in history, and a universal madness will break out. Ironically, he took this latter step in his own life, and the last 13 years of his life he spent insane. With his mother testified that while sat by his bedside, the brilliant philosopher who went into silence for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time, while his mother would sit by his bedside, suddenly would break out of that silence. And what would he say in the midst of all that? Verses of scripture that he had learned as a younger boy. And was he right about the 20th century? We killed more people in the 20th century than the previous 19 put together. And he's the one who popularized the phrase, God is dead. End quote. This illustrates that the demise of religion can have major negative consequences. Alistair McGrath, on the history of atheism, comments that, quote, the 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing, distressing paradoxes of human history. That the greatest intolerance and violence of that century were practiced by those who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence. End quote, McGrath, 2004. The British journalism journalist Malcolm Muggeridge made the comment that, quote, if God is dead, somebody is going to have to take his place. It will be megalomania or erotomania, the drive for power or the drive for pleasure, the clenched fist or the phallus, Hitler or Hugh Hefner, end quote. Muggeridge also stated that, quote, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time the most intellectually resisted fact, end quote. These examples can be used to reinforce the idea that the death of God or the demise of religion can have enormous ramifications. What other ramifications can Christian academics argue? Many Christian philosophers and theologians have argued that without God, there are no morals. More specifically, that without God, there is no objective or absolute moral standard, and all morals and virtues are subjective. As seen in the ideologies of Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin, it would seem that subjective morality can be highly dangerous. Douglas Jacobi asks the question, quote, <clears throat> What is wrong with genocide? Who is it to say it is evil? According to the atheist view, humans are just animals without ultimate moral obligations to one another. End quote. Jacobi, 2010. Even Nietzsche knew the ramifications of the death of God, and perhaps he knew that with the death of God, so too comes the death of absolute morals. It is possible to argue that there is no such thing as objective morality. However, 
when society views something in a culture that they do not agree with, the outcry is that the thing is wrong. By claiming that an event is wrong or evil, one is making the assumption that there is a right way to do things, or a way things ought to be. Jacobi gives an anecdote to show a real-world example of society's view of absolute morality. He comments that while giving a presentation at Michigan State University, a woman objected to his, quote, assertion that there are moral absolutes in this world. In order to expose the error and inconsistency of her position, he asked whether she thought it would be wrong to kill and eat babies. If she answered yes, she would implicitly be admitting her belief in absolute morals, end quote. He goes on to say that a Nietzschean philosophy student saw where the conversation was headed and told the woman to not say yes. Jacobi then notes that, quote, the Nietzschean philosophy student did not score any points for atheism. As soon as the audience realized that he was rejecting the absolute evil of cannibalizing babies, they emotionally turned against him, making Jacobi's position as a defender of absolute morals seem all the more reasonable. End quote. Jacobi, 2010. This is not to say that the atheist cannot live a morally just life. Christopher Hitchin notably says, Name me an ethical statement made or an action performed by a believer that could not be made or performed by a non-believer. End quote. Hitchens, 2010. However, according to Jacobi, an atheist living a morally just life does so in opposition to the atheist's worldview. Jacobi makes the comment that, quote, if the atheist is moral, it is not because of his ideology, but in spite of it. Atheism is amoral, not immoral. End quote. Jacobi, 2010. D'Souza asserts that morality is, quote, both natural and universal. It is discoverable without religion, yet it is its source is ultimately divine. End quote, D'Souza, 2007. The rejection of Christianity, a rejection of Christian morality, has led to many of the objections to the Christian religion. Dawkins writes in his book, The God Delusion, that, quote, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, genocidal, megalomaniac. Dawkins, 2006. This angry tone does suggest the objection to the absolute morality that Christianity claims. When reading this description of God by Dawkins, D'Souza comments, Garnin's is the measured scientific tone and Dawkins shows that he doesn't just disbelieve in the Christian God, but he detests him. 
this view of God has also been used to counter-argue the morality argument posed by Christian philosophers. For example, Dawkins has said that the absolute morality that a religious person might profess would include what? Stoning people for adultery? Death for apostasy? Punishment for breaking the Sabbath? These are all things which are religiously based absolute moralities. I don't think I want an absolute morality. I think I want a morality that is thought out, reasoned, argued, discussed, and based upon what you could almost call an intelligent design. Can we not design a, our society in such a way to have the sort of morality that we want to live in? Although it seems like a nice idea to create our own moral society, it often does not pan out quite so nobly. During an open forum at the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Ravi Zacharias was asked, Why are you so afraid of mo subjective moral reasoning? Do you think we all are just going to start raping and pillaging just because we don't have a book telling us what to do? Are you afraid of that? I'm not. I'm not because that's not what we're going to do. Yes, Nazis were bad, but there were Christian Nazis and atheist Nazis. So I don't see... What are you so afraid of? Zacharias jokingly replies with, Do you lock your doors at night? To back up the question, the student adds, China is secular. They're not raping and pillaging. Zacharias retorts with, Have you read what happened during the Red, Red Guards Rebellion? Do you know who have killed more people in the 20th century than China and Russia? 60 million apiece? It makes the Holocaust seem tame. The 20th century has become the bloodiest century in history, and the reason it became the bloodiest century in history, I can see, is you could just see the weapons of our warfare were piling up. There was no guiding principle to take us anywhere. Now in a perfect world, yes, we don't need to be afraid. I don't think the question is stated is fairly stated as, what are you afraid of? I'm just saying it's basically unlivable. I didn't conclude that. An atheist like Jean-Paul Sartre concluded it. We killed more people in the 20th century than the previous 19 put together. The fact of the matter is, if morality is purely subjective, then you have absolutely nothing from stopping anyone from being a subjective moralist to choose to just zing one through your forehead and say, that's my answer. End quote. Zacharias. This viewpoint can be used to illustrate the absolute morality that Christians believe can only be explained by the existence of God. When talking about morality, however, atheists often point to the issue of pain and suffering and evil deeds to explain away God. Dr. Ravi Zacharias and Vince Vitao spoke on the evening, evening of April 4, 2013 at Princeton University on the subject titled, Why I'm Not an Atheist. After the talk, an atheist audience member asked about reasons in relations to his talk on the subject of why he, 
he is not an atheist. Zacharias gives the morality argument as one of the reasons, but more specifically the idea of good and evil. He, he states, if evil is real and not a construct of our own mind, and evil is truly something to be shunned and is morally de- deviant, then there is no way to sustain that without a moral being who is the creator of the universe. When a person says there is such a thing as evil, they assume there is such a thing as good. When they assume that there is such a thing as good, they are assuming that there is such a thing as a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. But when they assume there is such a thing as a moral law on the basis to which differentiate between good and evil, they have to posit a moral law giver. But that's whom they are trying to disprove and not prove. Because if there's no moral law giver, there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there's no good. If there's no good, there's no evil. What really becomes of the question? Whenever a question of evil is raised, it is either raised by a person or about a person, which assumes, therefore, persons have intrinsic worth, and that is not a legitimate offspring, ideally, of a non-theistic universe. How does one give essential worth to a product of time plus matter plus chance? End quote. Although the moral argument seems the although the moral argument stems from the idea of mor- objective moral values, his last sentence also reflects another issue Christians often question with the Darwinian perspective. With the Darwinian perspective, natural selection refers to the survival of the strongest. The weak do not survive and become extinct. The issue Christians often bring up with this is the the naturalism is that naturalism leaves no room for things like morality, worth and value. This is seen very clearly in the various theories of society that are collectively named social Darwinism. Social Darwinism in the 1870s had the rich survive and the poor or the weak be killed off from the population. This is applied to biological concepts of natural selection and survival of the fittest to society and politics. This was largely largely seen as unjust and unfair by society and started a reformation. This began the progressive era and the early progressives rejected social Darwinism. In other words, they were people who believed that the problems society faced, poverty, violence, greed, racism, class warfare, could best be addressed by providing good education, a safe work environment, a safe environment, and a efficient workplace. The Progressive Era from 1890 to 1920. This reiterates the Christians' argument about the flaws in Darwinian thinking. The theory of evolution has been widely debated from both sides, but one aspect that both sides can agree on 
is the ramifications of natural selection. Natural selection is emotionless, loveless, moralless, and valueless, and leaves life meaningless. During a Q&A at the University of the Philippines in Manalia, Zacharias was told by a student that life is meaningless. This further shows the perspective of the naturalist. The student started by shouting out that everything in life is meaningless. The student and Zacharias then go back and forth arguing about this point, which Zacharias retells. You don't believe that. I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You don't? Who are you to tell me that I don't? Stand up and say it again. Everything in life is meaningless. I assume that you assume that what you just said was meaningful. And if what you said was meaningful, then everything is not meaningless. On the other hand, if everything is meaningless, then what you've just said is meaningless too, so you've basically said nothing and you can sit down. The best reply to atheist, evolutionist and agnostic quote from Zacharias. Christian comedian Brad Stein comments, I don't care what you think, we look at life and think it has purpose and meaning. We think that love is real and courage is real and nobility is real and honor is real. And none of those ideas that I just told you that you believe is real is in matter. It's not in molecules, it's not in material. It's transcendent. It's something beyond our unis, something we couldn't have got to on our own. And certainly is it wasn't evolved by evolution. Because evolution says that whatever happens to survive is all that matters. That's all that matters, which means right and wrong doesn't exist. Culture just creates it as it goes. Stein, tolerate this. Although he is not an academic source, his point of view is shared by many Christian thinkers and academics. As noted earlier, Ravi Zacharias asked the question to an atheist audience member, how does one give essential worth to a product of time plus matter plus chance? During an interview with Focus on the Family, he goes deeper into this idea and comments that Charles Darwin, in his Descent of Man, Darwin had said that if his naturalistic framework were taken as a scaffolding for metaphysical extrapolations and judgment and so on, he said the violence that would break out would be unparalleled. But if naturalism is all we have, man is nothing more than nature. Then we have to go then we have got no moral framework to look into. He talked about violence that would come. Zacharias, consequences of removing God. End quote. His interpretation of Darwinian thinking and naturalism, as well as the death of God movement, 
can be further used to stress the idea of many Christian philosophers that Darwinism and the Death of God movement have dire consequences on society. Alright guys, so we're about halfway through this uh, essay and uh, I'll save the other half for another podcast because it's definitely longer than I originally anticipated. But as you can tell um, from this essay that I had definitely definitely well researched and uh, made these... uh, it shows my my belief system completely and um you know i will resp- i'll definitely respond to these because uh even just going through it you can tell where my my point of view is coming from and it just shows a lack of understanding in what atheists actually uh argue and the rational position it just uh it it kind of pigeonholes the atheist view into one kind of category even this uh most recent even the last section talking about darwinism and darwinism and evolution it paints all the atheists as naturalists and humanists and not not all the atheists agree with that point of view because at a at a basic level atheism is just a rejection of the belief of god you know it's that's all it is and again as i've mentioned in previous podcasts it it, my the essay also shows a lack of understanding in what it means to be an atheist versus what it means to be agnostic we're talking about how one refers to belief and one refers to knowledge it it pigeonholes them in together and even that quote from uh that talks about the types the umbrella term of atheism um just to put all of those under an umbrella term of atheism is is it's it made it didn't really make a lot of sense when i i include that in the essay but then i don't follow that through the same way that D'Souza when he includes it in his book he doesn't follow that through when you see that there are different different versions of atheism then you can't make sweeping statements about atheism in the same way that I I was trying to argue in the essay that there isn't a true there's not the true Christianity that's being put forward and that's why these things are happening because of this kind of spiritualist Christianity and of course the entire essay came from a Christian perspective so it completely ignores the the views of of uh, Judaism or Islam or anything like that which atheists uh, they reject those too it's not it, I say that in the essay that it's specifically towards Christianity but it's not and the whole the whole thing is just one big uh, no true Scotsman fallacy which is basically saying like you know the only re- it, they're not really Christians they're not true Christians and that's that's what uh, what's coming of it so that's that's why Christianity is being rejected because they're not really Christians not actually Christian theologians and philosophies and things like that but even um 
I mean, it seems funny that I, I used uh, Ravi Zacharias so, so many times in, uh, in my quoting because um, he's just, he was never a good, uh, good source for that. And, uh, let me see if I can find it. So it was, let me see, there we go. Yeah, so here in the New York Times, uh, um, article, Ravi Zacharias, the event, influential even evangelist, sorry, is accused of sexual abuse in a scathing report. So, this uh, this came around as he was uh, passing away. So, an investigation found credible evidence of sexual misconduct spanning many years. Several massage therapists made accusations against Mr. Zacharias, who died last spring. So it only came out as he was, uh, as he was dying, but it just, um, you know, I'm using, uh, him as an example of a moral standard in the, uh, in the essay, and as a good source, and then, and then this, this comes out. Now, if you see, if you had a, an atheist that came that you you'd be like you would say oh well you know they're devil worshippers they have no moral standard uh, things like that and then that's that's exactly what you would expect to happen but then since this is a man that devoted his whole life to telling people about moral values and objective moral values and while he's doing that on the back side back end he's uh He's uh, sexually assaulting his massage therapists. I mean, this is just a... It's just ridiculous. And it just... It ruins all his credibility. So, since the majority of the essay, I use him as a as a credible source. I need to... Like, it... it as a, From the get-go, I mean, all of his stuff can be uh, discounted as uh, credible because of of uh that <clears throat> you can you can use somebody as a credible source of uh, moral values when they're doing that in the background and of course at the time uh, we didn't know about that but now that i know i mean that definitely uh definitely discredits a good chunk of my uh of my essay and um it just seems uh, it's just it's just crazy to see my perspective now versus uh, my perspective back then, and it's just it all stemmed from a uh, lack of understanding, and um, the especially the views on evolution. I mean, I was I was a uh, creationist back then, and uh, there's been uh, so much scientific evidence that uh, proves that creationism. Uh, is just is just false I mean we can talk about how um, since creationists uh, view the uh, the universe as 6,000 years old 
I mean, there's so much, uh, so much evidence that disproves that, and uh, you can just viewing the speed of light as as a uh, as a standard uh, measurement of uh, of time. I mean, that just that alone proves even just that it's older than uh, than six thousand years. I mean, uh, they say it's 14 billion, over 14 billion for the universe. But, um, you know, there's been uh, there's been ideas that the speed of light has changed over time. But, I mean, there's no evidence to, to suggest that. And since we have uh, these uh, constants to measure... Um, and that this that also a funny thing about creationism is that they say that uh, you know the current you will see this from Kent Hovind, Ken Ham, things like that, where they say you know a dog has always been a dog. A dog will make more dogs. There's no there's no um, evidence that dog was once not a dog and that it changed over time. So using that that idea that they that they push forward. There's also no there's no evidence that the speed of light has changed over time. There's no evidence that any of that those constants that we have, those uh, physical laws that we have, have changed over time. They are physical laws because they have they are constant and they have stayed that way. So those constants disprove their view of what of creationism and. And by definitely changing my perspective on creationism, I, I started to become an old earth creationist. Then I started to embrace the theory of evolution. But then I had to wrestle with things like uh, natural selection and say, so was it part of God's plan for generations and generations to die out? And at the time, I didn't agree with it. And I thought it was amoral, but... And um, as far as the objective-subjective morality argument, that I still wrestle with that because I don't I don't believe that there is a moral lawgiver. I mean, there there doesn't need to be for you to have morals. It can be whatever is the the good for whatever is good for culture as a whole, whatever is good for humanity as a whole. That can be what we view as a good moral standard, and that could have come about over time as we evolved it doesn't have to be uh, objective it can be objective now but it could be subjective over time it's just um, that and that's kind of how I view it but it, again it, I haven't completely made my mind up on that so it's something I have to make more of a, a priority for research so I can make my <laughs> make my mind up but as you can tell from the essay, you know, my, my perspective has drastically changed. And um, it's just uh, interesting to see the uh, the switch turned on in my head that changed my thinking. <laughs> but uh, thanks a lot for listening, you guys. And as always, keep your faith just... <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I almost said it. Keep your doubt everlasting. No, don't keep your faith everlasting. Because uh, <laughs> that's a uh, unreliable source of uh, 
of evidence, as we've discussed. But keep your doubt everlasting. Stay skeptical. And um, we'll catch you in the next one, where we'll continue reading through this essay and uh, continue breaking it down. So thanks a lot, guys, and we'll catch you in the next one.